0: The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. So our preacher de jour is Philly Boy. I think that's his email address. And uh, he is a boy, and he will be preaching today, so... 43-year-old boy. That's... <laughs> Have fun. Huh. That's interesting. What does that make you if I'm a boy? Uh, I always love his introductions to me. I appreciate you. Uh, Anyway, so last week we heard a great message from uh, John chapter 13 talking about how we can serve and how we can wash one another's feet. So in preparation for this message, I thought it might be a great way to tie in what we learned last week to this week with a special video uh, from uh, my family to you guys. So check this out. Remember to get in between his toes and remember to get under his feet. Oh, hi, I didn't see you there. Last week we learned about washing one another's feet and loving others in our community. And my sister is going to tell you about an amazing opportunity you have this week. Thanks, Kendall. The Backpack Buddy Bash is a huge party hosted by TBC for over 1,300 children who receive backpacks through the Backpack Buddy program. Here are three ways you can be involved. Donate hard candy, donate new or gently used elementary level books, volunteer to serve. The event will be held at Ralph Wilson Youth Club from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Drop off donations at the Creekside Building. Contact him to sign up. All right, so there you go. Uh... For those that know Owen, our youngest, that was a minor miracle just to get him to sit still and let someone, especially his brother, wash his feet. So uh, if you'd like to help out this Saturday, uh, we would love for you guys to come out. Uh, Please contact me, send me an email, or get a hold of me somehow, call up to the church, and we would love for you guys to join us. Uh, Over 1,300 kids receive backpacks every year. And we would love to just celebrate with them, show their families some love in our community. So we'll have inflatables, we'll have carnival-style games that you can help run. Uh, we'll be giving away free, uh, books as well, so you can bring up books, uh, gently used or new books, uh, and hard candy, not the chocolate stuff, because it is probably going to be 110 out there. So uh, help us out this Saturday at the Backpack Buddy Bash. Uh, so we received that challenge last week about uh, washing one another's feet and Today, we're going to be looking at John 13, uh, verse 21, and kind of tying in uh, what Jesus was talking about in the upper room. We kind of left them there in the upper room, uh, hanging out together in this uh, Last Supper. And so we're going to look at uh, the rest of the story here uh, in the Last Supper in verse 21 to 30. Uh, the other gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they briefly speak of this event that's about to take place that we're about to read about. But John here gives the most detail when it comes to uh, what's going on here pertaining to Judas. So let's look at John chapter 13, and we'll start in verse 21. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, "'Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me.' The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking." Buy what you need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So, after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. So, it's important for us to, in understanding any passage of Scripture that reflects back to the previous passage of Scripture, it's important for us to know what's going on. So, if you look at verse 21, it says, After saying these things, Well, in order for us to understand what's happening here, we need to say, okay, well, what are those things that he was saying? So if you look back a few verses, you'll notice that he talked about washing one another's feet. He talked about, you know, no servant is greater than his master. And and a person that wants to serve and wants to be like Jesus should be the one who follows his lead in washing others' feet. But then he moves on here in verse 18. And he says, I am not speaking of all of you, I know whom I have chosen, but uh, the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. So it's interesting that he mentions that and gives a reference to what is to come, and these are the things that he was troubled by. That there was somebody out there who was desiring to betray him. And this reference to scripture and prophecy refers back to David. And when David was living, there was a man who also betrayed him, and he was the one who handled his food. And in this prophecy, we see where Jesus is fulfilling this prophecy, that someone else that was with him would betray him, lift his heel up against him. And so Jesus is troubled. But in order for us to really grasp this, we need to understand, and when we look at verse 18, we see it clearly that Jesus did not mess up when he chose his disciples. Some of us look at it and we look at this story and we say, well, 11 out of 12, that's great. You at least got 11 good ones, right? Well, if you look at them, he probably didn't get many good ones, just like if he chose us. 11 out of 12 is good. You know, you screwed up on one, that's okay. But we have to see in verse 18, it says, these are the ones I've chosen. Jesus picked him. Jesus picked his betrayer. And so in these moments, we see this situation where we see Jesus as fully God and fully human. And he is experiencing trouble. He's experiencing agitation because of what was about to happen. We also see that he was fully God. He was troubled over a close friend betraying him that he poured his heart out to for three years. But in his divinity, we also, Jesus knew, Jesus knew in advance it would happen. And he sent spiritual hardness and deadness. This troubling that was taking place in him uh, is the same word used when uh, the pool of Bethesda had healing waters in it. And when those waters were stirred, that same word is used, the agitated waters of the pool of Bethesda. And the same word is also used by, uh, in reference to Mary, when she was troubled over her Brother who passed away, Lazarus. So there's this this isn't just some simple troubling. This is some deep uh, stirring of Jesus' heart and steep the uh, deep agitation and and concern about what was about to happen. Even though he knew what was going to happen. So in verse twenty two, we realize that the disciples didn't really see this coming. They looked at one another, just like in other areas of Scripture. You see that sometimes we look at them as clueless, but we'd probably be pretty clueless too when it comes to these things, not knowing about a Messiah and hearing things taught, but Jesus doing it differently than they thought. And so we see in verse 22 that this was kind of confusing to them. If you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke with the same account of this story, we actually see them say a common question. Is it I? Is it I? Is it I? And these disciples, one after the other, including Judas, ask the question, is it I? Now think about that. Like, well, this is happening and it's, it's orchestrated, but yet they even doubted in that moment, is, it, is this going to be me? Do I have the potential to betray you? Then, of course, you got Judas there just jumping in like, well, I already knew that, you know, I know this, it's me. But I'll just ask too to go along with everybody to fit in, right? Is it I? Is it I? Well, yeah, he knew it was him. But so the disciples are a little confused by what is happening here. And, of course, just like usual, we have Peter interjecting. Verse 23 and 24, Peter interjects into the situation which was common for him to do. Now again, studying other passages, you see that there's reference in the upper room to swords, that the disciples actually had two swords with them in the upper room, but they were ready to defend themselves or do whatever was necessary in certain situations. So you also see soon after this passage that Peter knows how to use a sword, right? Uh, He's pretty good at it. And so this Peter here is interjecting, trying to find out, what is he saying? What did he just say? And in that situation, it's probably best that Peter wasn't next to Jesus because he might have grabbed one of those swords and took care of the betrayer. So here we are looking at Peter interjecting, asking John what Jesus meant or or really what he said in this moment. And in order to understand that, you've got to use your imagination a little bit because the Last Supper didn't happen like artists depict it happening. It wasn't like that family picture where they all gather together, all right, squeeze in so we can all see the camera. And that's kind of how it's painted for us. They all sat at this long table facing out. But really it was more like in that day and age, it was a table about this low. And they would recline back with their feet out and their head in toward the table, their elbow on the floor, eating with their right hand. So sorry, left-handers, I guess you just had to figure it out. Uh, how to eat with your right hand, because that's just the way it was done. And so they would recline together, facing in, in this moment. But you had it more like a U-shape, where the uh, servant could come in and uh, fill the food, you know, and fill the plates, or offer the drinks, or whatever, and go in and out. And so you had a situation where you have John on Jesus' right, and then you have Judas here, but then the disciples were spread out. And so in this commotion and in this setup, it's very possible that you know, the disciples, just like, I don't know about you, but if you have crazy family like I do, it's really hard to hear each other. Everybody's talking over one another. They're talking about the commotion of what's happening. Uh, everybody coming into town, you know, you got uh, the Passover and all these things happening. And so there's a lot of commotion happening. So obviously in this instance, Peter's like, hey, uh, what's going Like, I, always, <clears throat> I kind of imagine like Peter at the, at the kids' table at Thanksgiving. Like, everybody ever sit at the kids' table? Only me? I, I sat at the kids' table probably way too long because they just didn't want to hear from me. But uh, it's kind of like you're at the kids' table. You know, it's little, more than the, than the other one, and you're kind of down there. What did he say? Did you talk about, what are you saying about me? Oh, and, you know, parents are up here like, just hush, hush, Timmy. Be quiet. And I almost imagine, and this is, again, my imagination. It's not actual things that happen. But I just imagine Peter like, you're at the kids' table. Peter and I, you know, we're probably very similar. And so Peter's like, hey, John, fill me in, man. Help me out. Help me understand what, what Jesus is saying because I, 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 I don't know if I heard this correctly. And so you see in verse 23, uh, one of his disciples, and, and you notice how John loves to do this, right? The one that Jesus loves, right? He always plugs that in. I guess if I was that guy, I would too. Uh, he also bragged about being faster too, I think. Uh, he was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking so that the disciples leaning back against Jesus said to him, Lord, who is it? So here's John leaning in on Jesus close enough to get his ear and he's asking him to clarify who is this? This is an interesting situation that John is leaning in from Jesus right and then Judas, he had this position of honor because if you look at the customary time of the feast, where they would have a feast, the guest of honor would receive the first bite. It was custom for the host to give the guest of honor the first bite of the meal. It isn't ironic and kind of crazy that Jesus physically showed that Judas was the guest of honor. I'm sure it kind of called Judas out a little bit as well, but Here he is playing along. Judas takes the food, takes the first bite, and the betrayer is fed by the Savior. He was the most honored guest because of that gesture. Then we see in verse 28, uh, at verse 27, then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Is kind of interesting, you know, again, I guess in the confusion of what was going on and the disciples' discussion and not understanding certain things and just having pieces of what was about to happen, we have the privilege of looking back at history and looking back at the Scriptures. So we can see and we're like, well, why were you guys confused? He just said it, right? But John himself, the disciple who Jesus loved who was sitting right to his right, still is in this situation where they're not quite sure what is happening. Not quite sure what is exactly taking place. And we see that in the next verses. We see that verse 29 says, some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him buy what we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. So even in that situation where Jesus pointed it out, there's some confusion there because if there wasn't confusion, I imagine somebody be grabbing a sword and most likely it'd be Peter, right? But in this confusion, they just thought, oh, he's the treasurer. So he's got to get some money for the meal. He's got to go help a poor person. And in this situation, Judas was able to get out of there. So I'd like us to take some time to focus on this last verse, though. Verse 30, So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. His last four words, and it was night. That's the only reference in the Gospels that any of the Gospel writers use to that reference to the night. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they don't really address that at all, what happened in Judas and where he went, and specifically, they don't use that word. And so I think words are important, and in John's case, the, that word is very important to him. And we'll look at that a little more deeply here And spend some time on what it looks like compared to darkness and light. This reference to light and darkness was no accident in John's gospel. Light is specifically connected from Genesis chapter 1 to John chapter 1. We see that in scripture if you look here at this next passage in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. I think that's the next slide. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And then in verse uh, 1 of John 1, next slide. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. So we see this connection in Genesis chapter 1 in the beginning, and then John chapter 1 in the beginning. And we talk about in those passages this reference to the light, and throughout John's gospel, you'll see references to the light. And so we see here that there's a connection taking place the darkness that covered the face of the earth in creation, and the light that dispelled that darkness. And then you have the darkness that existed in humanity because of sin. And that darkness that existed when Jesus went to the cross and looked like he had failed as the Messiah, looked like he had lost, went into that dark tomb, but instead conquered death and rose again. The light came out of that tomb The light shone out of the darkness. And in that situation where he revealed himself as the light, there was a new creation started. New creation in the fact that now we who are dead to sin now are alive to Jesus because of the light, because he conquered death. The light has transformed us and made us into a new people no longer looked at based on the color of our skin or country of origin or how we grew up. But instead, we are a new people based on our relationship with the light. Based on the one who conquered darkness. The first day of new creation, the resurrection shows us the beginning of a new man, a new people brought on by the Spirit of God. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So as we acknowledge the departure of Judas from the light, physically, spiritually, into the darkness, I think it's important for us to consider this light. Maybe look a little deeper into what this light is about. So let's check this out. The light, the concept of light and darkness it was embedded into the very fabric of God's people. You look at the Festival of Lights, you look at the Festival of Booths, the Passover, even the temple activity had a lot to do with light, the lighting of candles and various other things. So the light was a, a very powerful tool that was used to teach about God. And if you look into the, even into the New Testament, one of the most influential men to ever walk the face of the earth outside of Jesus, Paul, was transformed by the light. He was blinded on the road to Damascus. He was persecuting God's people. You talk about a dark man. This man was steep into darkness. Yet the light shone after he was blinded and revealed to him, him the truth and transformed his life to the point that he ended up writing half the New Testament. You look at uh, John 1, 4 and 5, says, In him was light, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. This light is Jesus, and he overpowers even the darkest of circumstances. As we sang that song about going through difficulty and still praising him. I thought about this concept and this fact that in the darkness, that Jesus is still ruling in the depression, in the difficult times, in the loss, in the anger, in the hatred, in the tough times that the light still reigns and the light can still dispel even the darkest situation that you're in. So the light is a powerful thing and we also can look at what the purpose of the light is. What is the purpose of the light? The light brings us from the hopeless state of darkness into an eternal relationship with Jesus. Ephesians 5 eight for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. And as some of us in here, we, we don't really grasp that concept too well. I know me as a a young guy, a pastor's kid, I came to Christ early. And some of you may have as well, and so maybe you can't quite understand or really comprehend the darkness that was in you. Now my mom could explain that very well to you, how dark I was. Evil little boy. But some of us growing up, you know, we, we come to faith early, and we don't quite get it. And some of you maybe came to faith later, and you realize, man. I was dark. I was evil. But here's the reality. No matter what age you have come to Christ, if you've come to him so far, we're all dark, equally dark. We're all evil. We all have that same potential for evil in our hearts. And here this passage says it, it takes us from darkness and gives us light. We walk as children of light. You know, I I, I like Texas a lot. Texas is an amazing place. Uh, I'm transplanted from Philadelphia a long time ago, as Gary likes to point out every time I come up here. I'm still a foreigner, I guess. Although he's a foreigner too, he's Louisiana. But uh, Texas is amazing, I love it. I love the people, the most friendly people that exist in the United States, I would say exist in Texas. Uh, You guys have some great stuff here, barbecue, of course. Um, But sometimes I feel bad for Texans. Um, You don't have good cheesesteaks. The only soft pretzels you get are bought in the mall. Um, You don't have reigning Super Bowl champs. Um, Sorry. Uh, And a lot of Texas, I was corrected last hour, but a lot of Texas doesn't have lightning bugs either. Or at least the lightning bugs I grew up seeing. And I know, I I hear you. I heard it last hour. A lot of Texas doesn't. I've been to a lot of places and I don't think you've experienced lightning bugs like up in the Northeast. The lightning bugs that I experience, like summertime is my favorite time and favorite season and it's difficult to be my favorite season in Texas, 110, 112. Uh, but I love summertime. Of course, I love being off of school. Uh, but I love having fun, especially like at night, playing with my friends in the neighborhood. And then you go out in the yard and it's, it's dark out and you see these lightning bugs flying all over. And you get the jar and you fill them up. And if you're a, a kind of weird kid like I was, you know, you get the lightning bug and do other things with it to see if it'll still light up, even though it doesn't, isn't living anymore, things like that. But... Uh, you got these lightning bugs and they flash, you know, and they're bright, especially out, you know, a little further out in the country where they just light up the night. And you got these bugs that are just bright. They're just fascinating, weird creatures, you know, insects. And so you've you got this situation happen where they light up. But by itself, a lightning bug really doesn't do much. You could put it in your hand and it lights up a little bit. But as I was thinking about the light and, and, and the situation and, and what it does and, us walking as children of the light, I thought about these bugs and how you can catch them and put them in a jar. And when you get enough of them in a jar, you know, this thing starts to light up. It's like a lantern and it's bright. And even in the backyard, you know, when it's pitch black, especially the really dark place of the yard, it just lights everything up. I thought about our lives and, and us as believers, children of the light, and how what a great picture in creation of us being able to have the light in our lives and to dispel darkness and not just individually because we're pretty insignificant individually as those little bugs but instead as a community of believers at TBC and in our small groups and throughout our community we get to come together and be lights dispelling darkness as a community Imagine all the people in this room living for Jesus on a daily basis, loving others, loving the hurting and the poor and the needy together. What a light for our community and what an example of what Jesus does in our lives. 1 Peter 2.9 says, "...you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession." That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What's your purpose? If you're a believer, here it is. Write it on your face, tattoo it on your arm, whatever you got to do, but get to know this verse. Here it is. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. This isn't talking about the Israelites. This is talking about those who have come to know Jesus, a new nation, a new people coming together as one. That we would proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. The light also enables us to have freedom from a life lived in darkness. We can have freedom from a life lived in darkness. John 8, 12 says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You can be free from that darkness. You can be free from that uh, pull back into the darkness and the old ways of life and live a new life in the light. So we looked at the light, we looked at what its purpose is, and finally we want to look at what does it look like to practice living out this life, this light that's in us. You know, Judah spent so much time with the light serving alongside the light, enduring hardships with the light, seeing great works done by the light, yet his heart was filled with darkness. John 3.20, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. I talked to a young lady even last hour came out to me and was talking about how God has transformed her life and brought her into a relationship with the light and changed her completely. Yet the people around her, they don't know what is going on with her. Why don't you do this anymore? Why don't you go here anymore? And she's living in the light and it's something different. It's something new and she's trying her best to live this out like John 3.20 says, you know, Oftentimes we cast stones at Judas. We kind of look at him and be like, how could you do this? You spent three years of your life with the Son of God. How could you betray him? And we look at him and ask those questions. And first of all, I don't think if we ask that question, we don't understand that first of all, Judas wasn't a believer. If you look at the different passages, we understand that he didn't have the light. But also when we ask that question, we ask it from up here in an understanding, a false understanding that somehow we have got it together. That we don't have darkness that creeps into our life, that we still don't have temptation and the propensity to do evil things, even though we've trusted Jesus. So for us to ask that question away is like asking up here and us thinking somehow that we would do better in the face of being consumed by greed, consumed by sin, apart from Jesus. So we exist here in what's called the Bible Belt. And I think Chase referenced it two weeks ago, even possibly the buckle of the Bible Belt, which I guess is a reference to Texans. But unfortunately, this can sometimes give us a false sense of who we are, what it means to be a believer. Similar to Judas, if you grew up here, we have a front row seat to the amazing things God has done, and yet our hearts are drawn and consumed by the temporary. We fall asleep. We see amazing things that God does, we see, hear great news even about our pastor, you know. Amazing news that God would do this and that he doesn't even have to go through a fourth treatment. And what this is amazing what God is doing. And we sit here with a front row seat to all these blessings of God and the light and active work around us that we fall asleep. We're lulled to sleep by these things. Because it's common. Because we grew up with it. Maybe because we haven't truly been transformed by the light. Oftentimes, we can identify this with our heritage, where we go to church, the amount of activities we're involved in, in the name of Jesus. You know what? Judas had all that. Judas had all that and more. Yet he didn't know Jesus. He had all the activity 24-7 with the Son of God. He had the examples, miracle after miracle, done in front of his face. Yet he didn't know Jesus. An author says, uh, what a tragedy. Feet that walked so close to Christ, he had a heart that lagged behind. 1 John 2.9, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. If you have a pen or you want to write this down, you can study this further when it comes to light and darkness. First John 1 John 1.5-9 talks about fellowship with Jesus and living in the darkness. What does that look like and what does your life look like? Great challenge there. But as we wrap this up, um, we've realized, you know, that Judas ate with, walked with, learned from, and served alongside the living Son of God, yet he continued to walk in darkness. So there's three things I'd like us to consider in conclusion. Number one, simple statement. Being around light is amazing, but it does not make you a Christian. Just like me hanging out with lightning bugs in my yard. (laughs) Doesn't make me a lightning bug. Just hanging out with believers is amazing and seeing the amazing things that God does is great. But here's the question. Like the lightning bug, does your butt light up for Jesus? (laughs) It's a humorous thing and hopefully that will stick in your brain throughout the week. But it's a good question. Because just being around all this activity and all these things that God's doing in our community and small groups and our children's ministry and all these things that are happening, it's great. But do we light up for Jesus? Can people see our light? Can people see what's happening? The transformation that God has done in our lives. Number two, as a believer, you are a new creation and darkness wages war against your soul. 1 Peter 2.11 Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. 2 Corinthians 10.3-4 For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. When you come into the light, When you trust Christ as your Savior, you immediately have a target on your back. And as you get closer to the light, and as you shine brighter for the light, that target gets larger because the enemy does not want you to shine. The enemy wants you to get comfortable. The enemy wants you to fall asleep and not live as children of the light. This is a serious war that's taking place against your soul. And lastly, we must wage constant war with a purpose. We need to have purpose. Matthew five sixteen in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. We shine as lights, not so people will be impressed by our light. Not so people will be impressed by how bright we shine and point to us. But we shine to give glory to our Father. We shine because of what Jesus has done for us. And only because of that, the power of the Holy Spirit allows us to shine in a way we could never think of shining. Isaiah 42, 16. Lastly, Isaiah says, And I will lead the blind in a way they do not know, in paths they have not known, and I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. So, have you been transformed by the light? Have you had a time in your life where you've recognized the darkness that exists inside of you, and have you trusted Jesus as your Savior? She answered, no, today's the day. There's no better time than now to say to Jesus, I believe. I want to be transformed. I don't want to live in darkness anymore. And then for the rest of us, do we shine? Can people see the light of Jesus living through us? The power of the Son of God bright in our lives Sunday to Saturday. Can that be seen in your life? And if not, maybe it's time for you to spend some time before God. Recognizing maybe the things that have consumed you, the cares of this world that have destroyed your relationship with Jesus to the point that you're living in darkness and your light is hidden. Let's pray. Dear God, We come before you thankful, thankful that you didn't leave us alone in our darkness, thankful that you had a plan. And that plan involved your only son, who came willingly, even chose his betrayer, and came and lived a sinless life to pay for our sin. That we can be a new people, a new creation living for you, lights in our community. Lord, I pray that you will just continue to convict us, convict those who don't know you as their Savior, that they will turn to you right now, that they will say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've done things wrong and I want your light to be in my life. Continue to convict us who are believers, who aren't walking as children of light, Lord, help us to understand that it's only through your power can we live as lights on a daily basis that point other people to you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, your Son. May we live for you the rest of the summer and throughout the school year coming up as lights that point to you. In your name we pray, amen.